Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. This is the Recovery Stories Podcast, and I'm your host, Patrick Custer. I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us today and hope you stick around to the end of this episode to find encouragement and hope through this story. The special guest we have speaking today, I couldn't be more excited to bring her on, and uh, her name's Tiffany, and um, she's one of the sweetest people you will ever meet. And um, so I'm so glad that she's graciously agreed to um, join us today and excited for you all to get to hear her story. Hey, Tiffany. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you again so much for um, agreeing to do this and getting, getting vulnerable and, um, you know, sharing, sharing a huge piece of yourself with all of us. You're welcome. That was my favorite part in uh, treatment was just hearing people's stories because oftentimes we think we're alone um, and just hearing how much are we can relate to other people and um, know that we're not alone. Um, some of our stories are different, but we all have the same common denominator and we struggle with addiction. So I'm happy to be here. That's right. I'm glad you're here. Well, with that, you know, um, let's get into it. You know, I'd love, I'd love to hear for, for you what, um, you know, starting way back, you know, at, at childhood, what was, um, what was your your family life like? What was your first exposure to addiction, mental health, um, you know, all that? Um, so I come from a long family history of alcoholics. Um, I cannot think of an aunt or an uncle that was not an alcoholic. Uh, my dad's real dad passed away of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, I was the youngest of four kids. Um, my mom was married to a guy um, and she had my three older siblings. Um, and my grandparents were best friends with his parents. And so um, my dad really never had a chance. They kind of didn't like him before they even met him. Um, and so me and my dad were completely treated differently. Um, I never felt like I was good enough for my mom. Um, in fact, every time my grandparents would come into town, my mom would lecture me and my dad, y'all better be on your best behavior. Um, and so my grandparents and my mom would not treat us very well. Um, so me and my dad kind of stuck together. Um, we were best friends. Um, and then, um, my dad, um, got a, um, in an accident at work in 1991. Um, he was in a coma for several months. Um, I was 11 years old at the time. And so of course I'm thinking, Oh no, there's my little partner in crime, my protector. Um, cause my mom yeah. did not protect me at all. Um, and so they had told us that he wasn't expected to live. Um, and so my whole world just kind of came crashing down on me at that point. Um, so he ended up surviving. Um, and, um, he was a vegetable for a while. Um, 
he started having seizures really bad, the grandma seizures. Um, he wasn't able to drive. He wasn't able to work. Um, so my mom, um, I think she kind of resented him too um, because he did get hurt and she had to go out and work. Um, and so she started a daycare in our house. Um, and so we grew up really poor. Um, we didn't have a whole lot. Um, and I felt like too, the things that we were able to have, I felt like she kind of gave them to my siblings uh, more so than me. Um, so I kind of took over the role of being my dad's caretaker. Um, and so um, whenever I was able to drive, I would take him to doctor's appointments and um, just be there for him, um, which I was honored to do. Um, I do feel like the, the relationship, the dynamics with my mom led me to people pleasing. Um, and I was constantly trying to please her, please everybody else. It also led to very unhealthy relationships. Um, I got with my high school sweetheart um, at 18 um, and I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to get married and move out of the house. Um, I ended up having my son, um, who is now 21. Um, I had him at 19. Um, and then that um, marriage ended up in divorce. He was um, emotionally abusive. Um, he could get physical too. Um, so I left. Um, and then I became a single mom. Um, and then a few years later, I met my current husband, um, which I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and we had our 17 year old kid um, and that relationship also was very unhealthy. Um, Can I a quick question. Yeah. Um, is, and I, I, I ask you this because I can identify with it on a certain level as well. And you and I have talked about this on a couple of occasions. People pleasing, um, as you bring that up, I know that for me, uh, that was a safety mechanism and a way to cope for so long and still is in some way for me. Um, would you say that that was the first thing that you could identify um, that you developed in life as an ism, you know, to cope with what was unmanageable for you? Mm -hmm, absolutely. I was constantly, um, it was, it was my wall for sure. Um, but I was also, um, I thought if I did what everybody else wanted me to do, that they would be happy and I would be good enough for them. Um, and it led to unhealthy things. I am really good at um, accepting people's boundaries and respecting them, but I absolutely had no, um, I didn't have set boundaries for other people for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that, yeah, that was not good. <laughs> I hear you. That was that was one thing that I had to work on in treatment for sure. You look up codependent too, and my big picture is right there in the dictionary, right beside it. Absolutely, uh, I think it's unique in a certain way. We don't always hear about getting raw and honest with uh, you know codependency and people pleasing being um, a a, a precursor to addictive behaviors and um, you know issues in life. Um, I think because uh, there's a number of reasons, but regardless of what it is, for so many of us, it goes unaddressed for a really long time if it ever gets addressed, you know? And um, so for anybody watching, I just wanted to take a second to point that out and, you know, kind of shed 
shed some shine a light on it um, because it truly is. And again, for yours and my in yours and my story, both you know, a real thing that you know kind of paved the way, right? For <laughs> it only works for so long till something else has got to do the job. So, yeah, absolutely. And I heard a I heard a psychologist tell me once that when we people please, we're actually lying to ourselves. That's right. That's true. And I was like, I'm not a liar, right? But then he thought he said, Well, think about it. If if someone asks you um, if you're okay with doing such and such, and you're really not, you know, or you're lying, or you're saying you're okay and you're really not, then you're really lying. So yeah, that, that was a different way to look at it, and I never really thought of it like that. Um, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, all right. Sorry for interrupting you. I just wanted to. No, you're good. Cool. Um, so then I got married um, in 2002. Um, and I didn't want to get married for five years, but um, my husband said, um, I won't wait five years. Um, I'll give you six months. Um, and the little people pleaser in me, we married in nine months. Um, so he won that deal. Um, and so it was just, it was one of those things too, where it was a train wreck um, from the beginning. Um, I was constantly like doing what he wanted me to do um, and being blamed for everything. Um, my favorite saying is you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Um, and he wasn't acknowledging any of his faults. And so I was taking on all of his blame um, and all of his problems and it's not good. Um, and then also like when we're in our addiction and we're not acknowledging that we have an addiction, then we're not able to change it. So um, that took me a good while to come to realize that. Um, so my relationship. Um, so I would drink like here and there. I was a social drinker, um, but I went to my best friend's house and my husband and I were like we were having a really bad um patch, I guess. And, um, I went to my best friend's house and she was like, here BFF. Yes. We call each other BFF at our age. <laughs> she was like, here BFF, why don't you have a glass of wine? It'll make you feel better. And so, um, we sat over there and, um, I drank wine and in my mind, I thought, man, um, my problems, my feelings like disappeared. Um, and again, I say in my mind, because um, I was in denial about it, they were still there. Um, I just wasn't um, tackling them, I guess I should say. Um, and so from that day forward, um, it hit me really fast. I started drinking every single day. And of course, my amounts was not what it was in the end, but um, I got the little four packs of wine. Um, at first, obviously, I started with like one four pack of wine and then I moved to like two, but I was drinking every day. Um, and then, um, my, my husband's like, Hey, you're getting a little chunky. <laughs> so I Googled what alcohol has the least amount of fat and carbs in it. Um, and I found vodka. And, um, once I started drinking vodka, it went completely downhill from there. Um, it was, it was really bad. Um, I also, um, I woke up on my 29th birthday and, I was upset because I was like, man, I feel like I haven't really accomplished anything in life. Um, and so I decided that I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to um, go to school. 
Um, and so I thought, well, we're never too old to go back to school, right? And I also wanted to show my kids that you're never too old to achieve what you set out to achieve. Um, and so I started going back to school. Plus two, I thought, surely my mom will be proud of me, right? Um, and so I ended up going back to school. Um, and I'm drinking at this point, obviously not like I was at the end. Um, and so I ended up working two jobs. So I didn't have to take out student loans. Um, and so I was stressed too, you know, um, and when mom is not paying for school or daddy, like you, um, and you're paying for it yourself, you do really good. You study hard, right? Yeah. Um, so I ended up, uh, working two jobs. Um, I was going, uh, to school. It was about 45 minutes from my house and, um, I did graduate with 4.0. Um, and so, um, then, uh, when I was about to start student teaching, um, our dean or whatever told us that if you do not pass this uh, certification tests uh, within five times, you can't ever teach in the state of Texas. And so I'm like, what? And so then, of course, my low self-esteem um, starts like getting the best of me. Um, and so I'm like, you know, panicking or whatever. Um, and so I start drinking more. Um, I ended up uh, passing all the certification tests um, the first time. So um, I often awesome. tell people too, like, I'm a good positive thinker to you and I'll encourage you, but I'm, I was really bad about encouraging myself. Um, and so um, what we put into our minds is what we start believing and what we really start telling ourselves. I saw a meme one time and it said that the thing holding us back is what's in our heads. Um, and so that's one thing I've really had to like really focus on um, is being more gentle to myself. Um, and learning my self-worth. Um, so anyway, uh, so I ended up passing my certification tests. Um, I did student teaching. Um, student teaching went really well. Um, I had two of the, like, the best mentors. Um, I taught first grade and fourth, um, and math was not my thing in school, um, but I had to teach fourth grade math, and so, of course, my little self-esteem then was like panicking, um, but I had a really good mentor teacher um, and I ended up loving teaching math. That ended up being my favorite subject to teach. Um, and I think it's because I struggled with math as a kid. So I felt like I could um, help the students with math. Um, my grade that I always wanted to teach was kindergarten um, from day one because I wanted to teach kids how to read. I wanted to be their first teacher. Um, and I loved my kindergarten teacher. Um, and so um, I got hired um, to teach kindergarten um, and I was so excited. Um, and I taught kindergarten for about a month. And then um, I noticed that my enrollment in kindergarten was really low. And so I went and asked my principal, I was like, hey, um, are you guys gonna switch me grades or something? Cause I noticed the enrollment's really low. And she was like, well, let's see um, what they say. Let's see what the district says or whatever. So. Um, about four weeks into um, school, after we've all had our kids for four weeks, um, the uh, principal called me down to the office and she was like, Tiffany, I have good news and I have bad news. And I'm like, OK, give me the bad news first so you can follow it up with some good news. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so she said, bad news is uh, your kindergarten class did not make. Good news is I can move you to second grade and I'll still get to keep you. Um, or you can move to another school, um, but I can't guarantee like what grade you'll be teaching or who you'll be with or whatever. So 
I was like, okay. So um, I told her I needed to pray about it. Um, and so I came back uh, the next day and I said, I'll stay teaching kindergarten um, or sorry, second grade here. Um, so I noticed and she gave me um, about a week to like move my classroom or whatever. Um, and so she said, but I do want you to be in the teacher planning this week or whatever. So I said, okay, well, when I went in there, um, the teachers were picking who they were giving up after having them a month with absolutely no supervision. Um, <laughs> so after having kids a month, you know their behaviors. And so, um, you know, I got the little angels. <laughs> not. <laughs> um, so I literally had a whole classroom full of 18 um, students that um, were not well behaved at all. Um, I was, I think I went home the first day, like trying to think positive, like, okay, maybe they just weren't used to me today, you know, um, but it did not get better. Um, and so I, that was uh, right after Labor Day or whatever. Um, and so I kept going home and telling my husband, I was like, man, I don't like, I don't know what to do. Um, the students are like horrible. Um, I love them, but their behavior was awful. Um, and so I ended up uh, talking to the principal. She never came into my classroom all year long, not one time. Um, and so I ended up talking to the counselor and I was like, I need some help in here. Um, and so uh, my husband kept going, uh, you're going to work. And I was like, I'm not going to quit, but I just, you know, I just need some help. Like I need some support. Um, and so finally, like after a few weeks, I was like, babe, I can't do this. And he was like, I will drag you in by your hair. You're going to work. And so it, it was tough. Um, it was really tough. Uh, lots of praying. Um, obviously, that led me to more drinking. Um, and so uh, Thanksgiving break. I just yeah, want to interject a question here. Well, mm -hmm. I thought really quick first and then a question. <clears throat> so for anybody watching, I think this is a really good example of, you know, we have a lot of stories that have been told of people who addiction showed up, <clears throat> actual addiction showed up in behaviors in teen years and what have you. When we're looking at your story, you're telling what I hear you saying is that the addictive drinking really didn't start until adulthood for you. Mm -mm. And so, <clears throat> I, you know, I get people have people ask me all the time, hey, what is what constitutes an alcoholic? What does alcoholism look like? And, you know, the answer to that is it looks all kinds of different. And one person's alcoholism can look like normal drinking to some other people. Um, that's because from the outside, it looks similar, but there's so much of addiction and alcoholism is an internal issue, you know? So, um, the question I have for you is what at this point, <clears throat> what did your, um, drinking look like trying to get a picture of like how it was progressing from the point where you had that aha moment? Um, you know, and you drank the wine and then you were, you know, you went to vodka and all that, but I kind of, how was it pro progressing for you here? Was it at bay? What, what did that look like? Was it what? <laughs> was it at bay? Like, had you 
were you trying to only drink on the weekends or were you drinking and had you started getting hangovers in the morning? What, you know, where was, where were the consequences manifesting at this stage? Um, honestly, I, I did not have any consequences as in like legally. Um, I didn't get any DWIs or not, or anything. Um, not because I didn't drink and drive because I did. Um, I did because, um, my husband griped at me all the time for drinking. And so I would like drink away from the house. Um, but sure. honestly, um, and I didn't have any consequent, like I didn't get fired from my job. In fact, nobody knew that I was alcoholic at work um, that I'm aware of. Um, no one ever said anything to me. Um, but I started drinking like to mask my unhealthy relationship with my husband. And then just like the stress of that first year job. Um, and so it, and my drinking did not just stay on the weekends. Um, it ended up, um, I would drink in the morning, um, before I would go to work. Um, I never was drunk at work, but it was one of those things where I had to drink just to keep the withdrawals at bay. Um, and then, um, as soon as I pulled out of that teacher's parking lot, um, I would always have vodka in a water bottle and I would pour it in my cup and drink like my whole entire way home. And then I would stay out for like two or three hours at night. And then by the time I got home, I was, I was drunk. Um, and so that was an everyday occurrence. Um, and then in the middle of the night, I would wake up at like two, three in the morning and take the drink that I had from the night before and sip on it. Um, and then go back to sleep for a few hours. Um, I didn't really sleep and I never ate. Um, like everything I put into my body um, was alcohol. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was bad. I think that's a good um, illustration or ex ex explanation of how, uh, you know, because I, man, that speaks to me on so many levels. Um, I know a friend of mine, Beth, uh, who shared her story with us as well. She has a very similar story to yours and is a teacher and had same thing, you know, talked about waking up in the morning, drinking before, but I clearly am also not, I've never been a teacher, but um, my gosh, I can identify with that drinking pattern, you know, and not wanting to be around whoever you're living with and um, staying away from home because you either smell up alcohol or you don't want them to see you drinking. You don't want them to call you out. Um, mm -hmm. There's that. Anyway, I think that's uh, really helpful. Maybe, maybe speak to some people watching yes. that identify and relate. So I didn't want my kids either. To, they obviously knew that I was drunk, but I didn't want them to know the extent of my drinking. If that makes sense. Like, I know that they knew I was drinking, but for me, that big, huge bottle of vodka lasted me a day and a half to two days max. Um, I was drinking a lot. Um, and so in my mind, I thought, well, maybe they'll just think that whole bottle of vodka is lasting me a week instead of, you know, a few days. Um, so I was kind of trying to protect them. Um, but I also was at that point where I could not quit. Um, and I wanted to. Um, my husband constantly, you know, griped at me for it and threatened to leave me all the time. And um, 
if you were to hook me up to a lie detector when I said, I want to quit, I'm going to try and quit. I'm going to quit today. Like I was telling the truth. Oh yeah. Um, it's kind of like that, uh, that thing where they talk about in AA where it's like the firm resolution, I think it's called, um, where like we say we're going to quit and we want to, and then, you know, those withdrawals come and, and I just can't. Yeah. Um, so I got through that first year of teaching and the other years were good for me or better. Um, I was still drinking. Um, and my husband was constantly, um, threatening to leave me. Um, and I wanted to quit so bad. And I told him, I said, the only way that I can quit drinking is if I go to rehab, that's the only way. Like I was not in denial. I knew I was an alcoholic. In fact, every time I poured that drink, I would say, Tiffany, you're an alcoholic, you're a loser. Um, and that's the way that I felt. Um, and today, like I, it breaks my heart to hear people say that addicts are, you know, bad people. We're not bad people. We're just in a bad way. I wasn't a bad person. I was in a bad way. Um, and so um, I wanted to go to rehab um, and my husband kept saying, well, at first he said, well, wait till Thanksgiving break. You have a week off from teaching. And so Thanksgiving break rolled around. Um, and then he said, wait till Christmas break. You have two weeks off. Christmas break rolled around. Um, and then, um, he's like, wait till summer, you have the whole month off. So it was like, he kept putting me off, putting me off. Um, and so I kept drinking cause that's what I had to do. Hmm. Um, I think for me, um, so I went to the ER, um, in April for the first time I had actually, um, I started having like a really, really bad high blood pressure. I guess that's one of my consequences too. I started having like health problems. Um, and so I went to uh, Tom Thumb one day and I took my blood pressure because I didn't have a blood pressure machine at home. And it said, go contact your medical emergency, like medical professionals now or something, because my blood pressure was like out the roof. It was like 188 over like 104 or something. Um, and so I called my husband and I was like, hey, I was like, um, so I need to go to the ER. Um, my blood pressure is like really bad. Um, and he goes, well you can go ahead and go. I ain't going. Cause that's cause you're drinking. Um, so I went to the ER and by myself, um, and, um, they took blood and the ER doctor comes in and says, Tiffany, um, <laughs> do you have a drinking problem? And I'm like, mm -mm. <laughs> and, and I was going to be honest with her, but then I thought, well, she might make me quit right now and I can't quit without rehab. And my husband won't let me go to rehab right now. So I had to tell her no. Um, and so, um, they ended up pumping me full of fluids or whatever. Um, cause I was severely dehydrated, big surprise. Um, and so, um, then a couple weeks later, um, same thing happened. I went back, um, I debated on going to that same hospital, but I thought surely that same doctor won't be there. Um, she was, um, and so she said, <laughs> Tiffany, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you, or do you have a drinking problem? Um, at first I said, no. Um, and then I looked at her and I said, I do. Um, and so she ended up prescribing me Librium. Um, and I got Librium and pretty sure you're not supposed to be drinking while you're on Librium, but alcoholics do that. Um, and so I did that. Um, bad, bad, bad thing. Um, and so, uh, that was at the end of April. And then um, I think for me, my aha moment, um, 
was uh, I had got called to be a jury on or uh, for jury duty. I got called mm-hmm. in and um, my, I told my principal and it was April 30th. And I told my principal and she was like, Tiffany, you know, you can get an extension for that. Right. And I never missed work, never missed work. But I was at that point, um, I had already kind of taken the Librium. I think I was addicted to that at that point. Um, and so it was like, I couldn't drink enough to keep the withdrawals at bay, no matter how much I drank. Um, and then that Librium ran out and I tried going to the doctor to get more Librium and the doctor's like, um, I got a phone call about you. And I was like, it's probably from my husband. And he said, it is. Um, and he was like, you need to go to rehab. Um, and so I was actually mad at that doctor that day, um, for not giving me more Librium, um, which now today I'm thankful Um, anyway so I go into jury duty and my principal's like you know you can get an extension and I'm thinking no it's like a day to drink right um and I need a break (laughs) so but um someone had other plans for me that day so I went into um the thing and um it was at Rockwall uh courthouse and Rockwall courthouse it's like huge it looks like something that should be in like Washington DC or something Um, And so they said that they had two cases that day um, and they said one was a child sexual assault case. And then he said, and the other one, I don't know. And I'm thinking, don't put me on that child sexual assault case. I don't want that one. Um, So I got called into the, I don't know one. And as soon as I walk in the room, there's a big um, screen and it said the guy's name versus state of Texas, uh, three DWIs or more. And I thought that could be me. That should be me. Really, it should be me. Um, And so I thought, okay, um, I hear you. Um, And I thought he was trying to tell me something, right? Um, And then I kind of pushed it off a little bit and I texted my husband. I was like, you're never going to believe this. I said, um, it was about, you know, DWI case or whatever. And I said, but I haven't got called on it yet. Um, I said, but if I do, that's like my for sure sign that I need to go to treatment. Um, And so they asked us, you know, what we did, you know, questions like our names, how old we are, um, occupation. And I was like, I'm Tiffany, um, said my age. And then I'm a teacher. Um, And then the uh, defense attorney was like, "Um, do you guys believe in probation? And the whole entire time I'm thinking, okay, this guy obviously is like me. Um, he's had three DWIs or more. So he obviously, you know, has a drinking issue. Um, and so I thought, well, heck yeah, I believe in probation because I would want someone to give me probation. <laughs> I wouldn't want jail time. Right. Um, and so um, they uh, let us go to lunch. Of course, Tiffany drank on lunch break. Um, and I came back into the courthouse after I had drank and I thought, man, like this is pure insanity. This is insanity. Um, and so, uh, they ended up calling me. I was the second name that they called. Um, and so that day I was like, man, this is, this is my aha moment. This is my get your crap together, Tiffany. Um, and so, um, that night I went home and, um, I was like, man, I need to go to treatment. Like I need to figure this out. Even if, my husband doesn't want me to go. I need to do it for me. I need to do it for my kids. I need to, um, I need to do it. Um, and so that case ended up ending early because, um, 
the evidence against him. Um, and so uh, a few days later, um, he ended up taking the plea deal that the judge gave him. And so I walked up to him and I shook his hand because the whole entire time I'm thinking I'm him. He's me, you know, we're the same. Um, and so I went up to his, uh, him and I shook his hand and I said, I wish you nothing but the absolute best of luck. Um, I hope you get the help that you need. Um, and the whole entire time I'm like, I need that same help. Um, can I come with you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so he was on my heart and mind like for that whole entire next week. And so um, finally, uh, that was April 30th, uh, May 8th, I woke up. Um, actually, May 7th, I woke up and um, I called into work um, because and I never call into work. I never missed work. The only time I missed work was to like take my dad doctor's appointments um, and stuff like that. Um, and so I called into work that day and my husband's like, you're going to get fired from your job. And I was like, I'm not going to have it. Like if I go to work, like I need to get help or I'm not even going to be here. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I like my job is I care about my jobs, obviously, but I'm like, at this point, like I need to get myself help. Um, and so I, uh, the whole entire day, I kept thinking, I got to go to rehab. I got to go to rehab. Um, and then, uh, May 8th rolls around. I call in sick, um, again. Um, I did say I had high blood pressure, which I really did. But, um, anyway, so I, um, May 8th comes. And so my husband's like, well, you just need to call uh, the doctor and get on some anti-anxiety meds. Um, cause my anxiety was like out the roof. Um, which I never had anxiety before I became an alcoholic and I don't have it really now since I quit drinking. But, um, so I was, um, really suicidal that day. Um, I had constantly been driving around looking at people, um, in the car thinking, I wonder if you're like me. Mm. Um, and I just felt like so alone. Um, and so I told my husband, I was like, I'm like suicidal. And I was like praying to God. I was like, Lord, just take me. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, these withdrawals are absolutely awful. I don't want to be a drunk anymore. Like I, I don't want to. Um, and so, um, I drove around that day. Um, and, I pulled in and out of like several different hospitals. Um, and so I kept like kind of talking myself out of it. And the only reason why I kept talking myself out of it because my husband was going to be mad at me. Um, and finally I um, went into this gas station and I hate it when people write on stuff <laughs> with Sharpies, but someone had written on the hand dryer, everything's going to be all right. Um, and I looked at it and I started crying and I pulled into the ER and I called my husband and I said, I'm doing it. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to treatment. And of course, you know, he was upset or whatever, but um, so I went into uh, the hospital. I did go to a different hospital this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I ain't going back to that one. Um, so I did go into a different hospital and I walked in and I said, I'm an alcoholic and I need help like right now. Um, and I was honest and said, I, if I don't get help, I am suicidal. Um, and so I, uh, obviously was really intoxicated. Um, and so they, uh, gave me some fluids and like, you know, got me 
to where I could be transferred because um, I didn't do detox there. And so I was there for about four or five hours. Um, my husband did not come up there. Um, and I was scared. Um, going to rehab is one of the scariest yet most gutsy thing you can do. Um, takes a lot of courage. Um, and so um, I had told my husband, I was like, can you at least just come and pick up my car? Um, because there's vodka in it and I don't want it sitting up here for a week. Cause at that point I just thought I was going to, you know, go to detox for a week or something. Um, and he was like, I can't come get your car. And I was like, you can, we, our son drives, <laughs> just come get my car, please. Um, and so he, um, he ended up coming to get my car, uh, right as they were willing me on the stretcher, um, into the ambulance to take me to detox. Um, so I went to detox. Um, I was in there for, I think six days. Um, and then they came to me and asked me if I wanted to go to treatment. Um, of course, my people pleasing. Um, at first, I was like, I know that I need it, but I also don't want to make hubby mad. Um, but then I thought, if I don't do it, I ain't going to be here. Um, and so I ended up going uh, to a place in Mansfield. It was about 40 minutes from my house. Um, and when I got there, um, obviously my psychiatrist was like, you need to read the book boundaries. <laughs> you need to read the book codependency no more, which is a really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, and then, um, so, uh, when you, you go into treatment, it's like peeling back that onion. Like there's so many things that, um, from your childhood that bother, bother you, but you don't realize the extent that it really bothers you. Um, and so it's kind of like that saying I said earlier, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Um, so I had to uh, be real um, with myself and acknowledge the things that did hurt me um, and work through those. Um, so I ended up uh, doing 30 days there. Um, and then I found out that the right step, this little wonderful place right here, um, has PHP with boarding. Um, and so I was, and they let us go home on the weekends. And so I thought that's a perfect, like, um, transition into the real world. Um, I'll get to go home on the weekends, but still, you know, be in treatment, um, you know, several days a week. Um, and so I ended up doing that. Um, my husband picked me up and of course he was not happy. I was doing that. And he was like, I've gone without you for five weeks. And now you're telling me I have to go three weeks without you. Um, and at first I said, never mind, I'll just go home. Um, he turned his truck around to go home <laughs> and then something snapped in me and I could hear everything that psychiatrist saying boundaries, don't be codependent, you know? Um, and so I, um, said, no, I need to do it for me. Um, turn the truck back around and we're going back to the right step. Um, so I came back into the right step, um, and man, right step changed my, changed my life. Um, people ask me all the time, which treatment center did you like best? Um, I liked the right step the best. I think I learned the most out of it. Um, they're different. Um, not to say that the other place isn't good because it was, um, but I just had a, I had a connection here, um, for sure. Um, obviously, um, then I ended up doing IOP here. Um, and my support at home was not good. Um, and so I got really involved with alumni um, here. 
Uh, one that helped keep me sober. Yes, ma'am. It's no joke. <laughs> like I promised that. Um, and so then, um, cause he didn't even want me going to like AA meetings or anything, alumni, nothing. And I realized that he was keeping me sick. I have not said his name cause I'm not here to bad mouth. I'm just here to tell my story, sure. um, but it's part of my story. And so, um, anyway, so I got involved with alumni. I started going to alumni meetings. I started sharing my story. Um, cause even if it just helps one person, it, makes a difference, right? Um, uh -huh. So did that for me. Um, so it's my way to give back. Um, so I uh, started getting really involved with alumni um, and they were my support, y'all. Um, and my dad, who I was telling you guys about um, earlier, being my best friend. Um, December 20th, this past December 20th, um, I got a phone call from my mom. Um, and um, she said, I need you to come over here. Um, your dad is unconscious um, and they're uh, trying to get a pulse and um, I need you to meet me at the hospital. Um, and so actually at first she kept saying, your dad, your dad. And so I'm like, mom, and I was actually leaving a meeting that night um, this, uh, faith-based meeting that I go to every Friday night. Um, and I'm glad that I went there that night. I go there every Friday, but I'm, I'm glad that the night he passed away, like was a Friday, um, just cause I walked out with that, um, that meeting like in me, you know? Um, and so, uh, the police officer gets on the phone. And so I call my husband and I'm like, Hey, you know, here's what's going on. And he was like, so do I need to come up there? And at that point I was upset. I was hurt. And I was like, you do what you need to do, you know, whatever. Um, so we ended up going up there and I showed up and they said that he was gone. Um, but those of you that have lost a parent, I know it's really hard. And um, my encouragement is that there's absolutely nothing that I have to drink over for today. Nothing. Um, losing my dad was absolutely the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. Um, but not one time did I think, man, I sure would like a drink right now. Um, and so my dad also struggled with addiction. I had taken him to uh, rehab um, probably about, uh, probably about 10 years before I became an alcoholic. Um, and so my dad, uh, the Thanksgiving right before he passed away, this last Thanksgiving, he said, Tiffany, you fought those demons better than I could, even though he was sober. But, you know, I was like going to meetings and, you know, working. I worked at another facility before I worked here. Um, and so um, that night that he was on the table after he had passed away, I promised him I will stay sober for you, Dad. Um, and so that next Friday night, um, I went to that same meeting that I go to every Friday night. Um, and I got a little desire keychain um, and said that I'll stay sober for my dad. So um, that's what I did. Um, and so um, I think that's the best way that I can honor him because um, I know he was proud of me. Um, and you know what? Today I'm able to be proud of myself um, and not let people's, you know, hold me to that 
standard, like that I'm an alcoholic. I'm not right now, you know, I mean, once we're alcoholic, we're always one. We always have to work yeah. on it. But I'm, I'm not doing the things that I was doing. All right. Um, and so um, I'm constantly working on my recovery. Um, my uh, marriage is ending. Um, and so when we hear in treatment, sometimes we have to change our people, places, and things. Um, I've had to change my people. Um, and it's, um, it's just one of those things where I'm better off. Um, and with treatment, I'm able to discover who I am, um, and recognize my worth, um, and that I do deserve better, um, and chalk it up to, we just weren't meant to be after 18 years, I guess. (laughs) Um, and that's okay. Um, and so, um, but yeah, that's about where I'm at now. Um, now I'm the alumni advisor here at the right step, um, And it's the absolutely most rewarding job. Um, I went into teaching wanting to mold kids' lives, and now I get to help people get their lives back. Um, And that's what people at the right step did for me. And so now I'm able to work with a lot of the people that um, helped me do that. Um, In fact, I told one of the RAs here, I was like, man, good thing I was a good client. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she was like, you were, you were a great client <laughs> and everything you were supposed to and blah, blah. But it's just funny now because I'm like, man, I'm glad I wasn't a little pain. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Oh, my got- God. Well, Tiffany, I, you know, we're so thrilled to have you as part of the staff family uh, in our organization. And um, I know that you've already affected so many lives in a positive manner. And I I am so grateful for the countless lives that you will continue to help change and, um, you know, influence. Um, The miracle of recovery is truly one of the greatest gifts that I know (laughs) those of us who are in recovery and, um, you know, some of our family or chosen family would echo this as well as they know it first and second hand, you know, without recovery. Uh, our world would look very different. Uh, Absolutely. Some of the most influential people that you would never know um, in our world today are in recovery. And uh, it's it's so cool. I'm so glad that you um, are at a place where you're able to share your story, um, wear it as a badge of honor um, and get vulnerable like this because it is, uh, it's special. And I think it's impactful. I wanted to ask you, um, one last thing as you were going through, um, that tragedy with your father, what were, if you were to just list the first things that come to mind that carried you through in, you know, your recovery hygiene, you know, like what was it that you, um, clung to and leaned on um, that helped you, you know, make it through that helped you not think about a drink as the solution at that point. Um, Honestly. um, So there's an analogy that I'll share with you. um, So that played a part into it. um, But also um, my alumni people, my recovery people, um, I talk to them like every day. Um, and there was also a tool that I learned here at the right step. And I, whenever I do groups, I tell clients this all the time. It, it was probably the, the tool that helped me the most. Um, and that was playing the tape forward. 
because um, oftentimes we romanticize about our drug of choice. Um, in my case, it would have been like, oh, you know, drinking will make me not sad anymore. Um, but really, um, it's not a good choice. And so I had to play that tape forward and think about the consequences that could come with it or the consequences that I did have come with it. Yeah. Um, like I could lose my kids. Um, I could, you know, uh, get a DWI. Um, and honestly, too, like I don't ever, my withdrawals were so horrible. I constantly remind myself of what that felt like to keep me, um, to keep me like. Yes, ma'am. You know what I mean? Yes. It, you know, just a thought for me that I, I wanted to throw in there too. Sometimes when I feel like I'm losing touch with it. I never, ever, ever want to lose that remembrance, that feeling of how bad it was. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for connecting with, you know, the, the most spiritual connection we can find is with the newcomer, you know, Absolutely. the person who's, who's coming in, who's still struggling and what have you. And, um, so I love first step meetings because of that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship because not only do you get to bring, um, you know, uh, recovery and a life of joy that that can be, you know, something that God, I remember when I first started going to meetings and look at somebody with years of sobriety thinking that's unattainable, you know, but because there were people there, I knew in reality it was possible. Right. Like so just our presence, I know, is is very helpful to a newcomer when when we're you know humble and we're there but they have no idea how much they're helping us in those situations as well to be that uh, mirror, if you will, of uh, what it always could go right back to for us, you know? Absolutely. And so. it takes that first drink <laughs> and I don't ever want to go back to that place again. Um, no, so yeah, I constantly do remind myself of how bad those withdrawals felt and um, just what life was like. Um, I did a activity in group um, called picture of my addiction. And it was like, everybody's picture seems so similar and it's complete insanity and chaos. And I was like, yeah, we can add in a few details of what happened that specific day, but pretty much the same day, every day, it's the same stuff over and over again. It's chaos and sanity. Um, and so it's, yeah, I, I don't ever want to go back to that place again. And, um, Honestly, you know, uh, my health can't take it either. Um, yeah. I don't want to be like my grandfather dying of cirrhosis of the liver. I don't want my kids um, going through what I've gone through with my dad at a young age. Um, and so, um, yeah, and, and working here um, helps with that too. Um, That's it's very rewarding. Um, so there's an analogy that I want to share with you guys really fast. Um, I wrote it on uh, my one year sobriety um, on the Facebook page um, and I found it the other day. Um, my son absolutely loved uh, The Wizard of Oz, my 21 year old. We watched it um, like all the time <laughs> um, when he was little. And so probably about, I don't know, two years ago, he um, said, he was talking about the wizard of Oz and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I can relate that to recovery. Right. Um, so on my one year sobriety date, whenever it had passed a while back, um, well, a couple of years ago, um, I posted it on Facebook. And so, um, I'll read it to you guys really quick. Um, 
It says, when I was drunk and living in my addiction, I was living life in the black and white part before she opened that door to begin her journey to go to Oz. When she opened that door, she was in awe of how beautiful and colorful it was. When I got sober, I quickly began to realize that life is more colorful, way more beautiful than I imagined and full of adventures. Not to say that I don't have tough days because I do. We all do. Much like Dorothy, Scarecrow, Tin Man, and the Lion faced challenges on their way, but they kept going for their ultimate goal. We have to keep going and fighting our way through those challenges and hard times for our ultimate goal, and that is to achieve sobriety and live a sober life. Challenges and tough times are unfortunately a part of life, but as a whole, life sober is so much more beautiful. I was scared to get sober because I had lived uh, several years drunk. I didn't think that I could enjoy life or that it would be colorful like Dorothy saw as soon as she began her journey to Oz. I also didn't have the tools that I learned to get to help get through those hurdles. And instead of facing them, I turned to alcohol because it was easy for me. It was easy to drown my feelings and problems at the bottom of the vodka bottle. I didn't want to make that journey and follow the yellow brick road because it did seem scary, long, tiring, and hard. Today, I follow the yellow brick road no matter how long or winding it may seem or how many U-turns or turns I have to make. I have met wonderful people to help and support me through this journey, like she met Scarecrow, Tin Man, and the Lion, like we find in the rooms of AACAMA or whatever A group you go to. They all had character defects, not having a brain, not having a heart, and not having any courage. But they supported each other and they were determined to achieve those things no matter how hard it was. They were all willing to go to Oz no matter how long the road was or how many obstacles they faced in order to achieve the things they wanted and desired. Much like we will all do to anything to achieve our sobriety, going to treatment, getting a sponsor, working the 12 steps, doing service work. We, those struggling with addiction, all have different character defects, different backgrounds, but we all want one thing and that's sobriety. It took me a while to realize that life sober is colorful and so much more beautiful. And now I'm getting to experience things that I could never could or did when I was living in my addiction. Dorothy still had things to overcome as we do when we get sober. Life isn't always easy, but we make it through by supporting each other and living life sober is so much better. I'm thankful for now being able to realize that we can finally live that colorful and beautiful life that we missed out on because we were stuck in our addiction. Um, and then I had seen a quote, and this is so true. Recovery didn't open the gates of heaven and let me in. Recovery opened the gates of hell and let me out. Oof. And it surely did. That's a resounding um, amen there. Yes. Yeah. Um, so one of my favorite sayings is every day might not be good, but there's something good in every day. Some days we have to look really hard. Uh, for one, and other days we can find a gazillion, but we always have something good to look for in every day. And the days we're sober, even better. So true. Wow, I really appreciate you sharing that last part as well. Uh, you know, so eloquently written. Um, it's so neat. I hadn't heard anybody uh, do that comparison before. So that's that's really special. Just like you. <laughs> oh, you're sweet. You're special too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, listen, we are ending at the perfect time. And uh, I just want to thank you again for um, sharing with all of us. We really appreciate it. And um, also to anyone who's watching, uh, we've got the number and website for our um, admissions center. If anybody's watching and wants to take that next step and reach out for help, um, we would be more than happy to help you and honored to walk alongside you in your journey. And um, 
Not to mention, no matter what treatment center you might go to in our family of treatment centers, we've got an alumni advisor just like Tiffany at each, at each place that's ready to take your hand um, when you finish your time in treatment and move on to the next steps. And um, we want to have a relationship with all of our clients for a lifetime, as long as they're willing to after the fact. So no matter going to treatment and then finishing, we all have a life of recovery afterwards, whether it's for mental health, eating disorder, sex addiction, chemical addiction. Um, life after treatment looks like a lot of work. Um, it looks like a lot better than when we went in, but it's a lot of work. And um, so, you know, we want to we want to continue being a part of your life and help provide that um, that connection, support and service that's so impactful and necessary um, to a life of recovery post treatment. So um, we've got a lot available if you should need it and ask. We are here. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. And with that, I'll close out and say thanks. Thanks again. Till next time. Thank you for having me. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's rooted alumni community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 877-351-7504 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 